This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor here at Vortex. It's good to have you this morning. We're going to get started in a new series today called My Hot Mess. And and that may be because uh, some of y'all are just straight up hot messes, okay? And so that's a phrase that kind of emerged in, in uh, uh, pop culture uh, a couple years ago. And this phrase, my or hot mess. Um, and, and the thing about that phrase is it, it feels like it's brand new, but actually it's, um, it's several hundred years old. Uh, the phrase in, it first appeared in the 19th century. In the 19th century, the, the phrase, the terminology hot mess appeared first to describe a hot meal. That and, and often it was used in the context of military. So it was to describe a hot meal that a group of soldiers was going to be able to get, which is why later the cafeterias for military installations became called mess halls. All right, so hot mess em- originally emerged there. Uh, about 100 years later, the term began to transition, especially in the context of the military. And the term hot mess in, in the, the 20th century Century uh, became uh, became something that described a, a very um, disadvantageous uh, military operation where a group of people may have made a mistake, and then the term "hot" actually described that there was live fire. But today, in the 21st century, the term has shifted a little bit for us because of the evolution of that word hot. So this is what we believe that it means today. A hot mess is an attractive disaster. (laughs) It's someone whose life is in disarray, but somehow remains functional and attractive in spite of it. Functional and attractive in spite of the fact that their life behind the scenes maybe isn't all that you think it is because of what you see. That's what a hot mess is. And the truth is, is that there are many of us that are here this morning that that's what our lives look like. You come to church and you're uh, so nice to everyone and you're high-fiving everybody and giving hugs out like it's, you know, Easter and you're giving away candy, right? Like you're the Easter bunny. But you go home and you're fighting all day long with everybody and you're just tough to get along with because you can put on that good front, right? There's some people, maybe you work with some folks that are hot messes, right? And you know, like, you know that they're, they're functional, they get their job done, but every Monday morning they come in and tell you about the mess they made that weekend, right? There's all different kinds of messes. And so as we get started in the series, I thought it would be helpful to just kind of describe what a mess is. A mess happens sometimes where, where we actually make the mess. There are relational messes. Uh, there are some of us that get uh, way over our, our heads when we're, when we're dating, or maybe, maybe we move in with somebody before we're married. And, and there's some of us that even in the context of marriage, we create messes in the context of our relationships. There's a family mess, Right? Maybe you were dating uh, somebody and, 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 and you kept saying, hey, why haven't I met your parents yet? 
And you said, oh, yeah, you know, they're just busy. And then eventually you met their parents and you realized why you hadn't met their parents yet, right? Because their family was a mess. And truth is, is that all of our families are a mess, that we have our own different versions of what messy looks like in our own families. And so there's a family mess. There's a financial mess. Some of, some of you are in a financial mess today. As a matter of fact, I spent time on the phone this week with some folks that are in financial messes where you spent money on things that you didn't really need instead of spending money on the things that you did. Maybe you got in debt, right? That's a financial mess. Maybe you're a physical mess today. Maybe you woke up and finally one day you looked in the mirror and you realized that, uh, well, you know, wardrobe will never (laughs) cover what's going on now. (laughs) Can't, can't, can't cover this up with a wardrobe anymore. And you realize maybe I'm just in a, in, in a physical mess today. And sometimes physical mess isn't just something that, that happened because of decisions that we made. Sometimes it's, it's stuff that just happens to us. It's a diagnosis that came out of nowhere. It, it's a, a condition that is chronic and, and continuing. And, and there's a physical mess. And then there's maybe a habit mess that maybe some of you are struggling with today, where something that started originally, where it was social, later became secret, and then it became a commander of your life. And there's some of you today that you'd say, hey, you know what, I'm not in a mess, and maybe I was in a mess, and the truth is you're probably just in between messes because you have another mess that's coming up in the future. Some of y'all married a mess, don't raise your hand. Okay, don't raise your hand if you think you married a mess. Some of y'all are in here and you're being parented by a mess. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand if that's you either. Some of y'all are parenting a mess, <laughs> right? All right? They're all different kinds of messes. All different kinds of messes. And I want you to understand something about messes as we get started. That we're genetically engineered towards messes. We're genetically engineered towards messes. Messes in the context of this series that we're going to talk about are really directly connected to sin. All right? They're just directly connected to sin. And there are messes that some of us are dealing with on the outside of our lives. And then there are some of us that are dealing with messes on the inside. And if you're honest about the messes that you're dealing with, they're probably similar to the messes that your parents dealt with. Because your parents were messes. And their parents were messes. And your kids are being parented by a mess too. We're genetically predisposed to messes. But there's some good news when it comes to that. There's always somebody whose mess is bigger than yours. If you find comfort in that, shame on you. (laughs) That's not good news. But that's often where we go, isn't it? We find solace and comfort in the fact that we look around and we go, all right, I know I'm a mess, but so-and-so is a bigger mess. Right? Can I just just bring some freedom to your life this morning? Can you guys just kind of join me in the effort to stop navigating our lives through comparison? Can, Can you just join me in that? And, and can I even give you something that's very helpful? If you're a parent or a spouse, I want you to get this today. You don't have to compliment by comparing. 
Can I just tell you how we do that with our kids sometimes? We say, you are the best kids. You are the, you are, you are the smartest kid in the world. And then they go to school, and they get into classroom, and there's five kids that are smarter than them. And all of a sudden, that compliment that you gave them loses a little bit of credibility. Instead of just saying, you're smart. You're smart. We don't have to compliment through comparison. When we compare, it leverages the precepts behind it to be torn down. See, sometimes we find solace and comfort in the fact that somebody is a bigger mess than us. And that's not good news. The truth about the mess is the first thing in your notes today. I think our messes are holy and intentional. God put them in our lives. And the first thing I want you to see about messes today is that messes are our common ground. Messes are our common ground. See, so many times when I sit down to talk to somebody who's in the middle of a mess, they always think it's just me. I'm the only person dealing with this. I'm the only person that feels this way. I'm the only person that's ever done this or struggled with this. And the truth is, is that it's not just you. It's not just you. You're not the only person that has ever walked through the kind of mess that you've walked through. As a matter of fact, oftentimes our messes become common ground. Can I just remind you of something I've said before, that you will connect to people out of your weaknesses. You will only impress them with your strengths. Our messes are our common ground. So because of that, we should be careful when we criticize, shouldn't we? As a matter of fact, now, today, one of, the, one of the things we're going to try to work towards is, is you being able to look at somebody else that's in the middle of a mess and say, I recognize that mess because I am a mess. See, the fact that messes are oftentimes our common ground should quiet us in criticism. It should still us in comparison. Because we should do something first before we ever judge. We should look in the mirror at our own self. Because you may recognize a mess in somebody else's life, but the truth is you probably do it because you see a mess in yours. Messes are our common ground. And one of the things that I think that we we just need to be reminded of in that is that because messes are our common, it it just kind of reminds us of something that you already know. I just want to tell you that this morning is that we need each other. How many of y'all have have just watched and and seen that people, people rarely clean up from a mess on their own? They need people. They need people to come into their lives. Sometimes it's people that come into your life and encourage you. And sometimes it's people who come into your life and speak truth and love because they care about you and they don't want you to keep doing the things that are sabotaging your life. But messes, messes are our common ground. And as a Christian, the unique thing about our messes that we believe is this. That the same mess that brought Jesus, or that brings us together, brought God near. The same mess that brings us together, 
that provides our common ground is the exact same mess that brought God near. This is actually an interesting thing to to think about and to understand. In, In the first century, which is where we read a lot of the context of the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, when people thought of God, they did not think of God the way that we think of God. Okay? You've studied Greek and Roman mythology, and and you have to kind of overlay that understanding on that culture because that's what was being propagated during that time, if you can remember that from your high school days. See, when the common person in Jesus' day thought of God, they thought of a God that was righteous and angry. And when they screwed up, the gods would be angry with them and there would be punishment. And so along comes Jesus, who uses a different word to describe our relationship with God. The word grace. Unmerited favor. Access to God because God has forgiven us. So Jesus comes and in the first century begins to preach a message that is drastically different than anyone had ever thought of who God could be. That God is gracious and loving and forgiving. And it teaches us something about the mess. And we're going to kind of spend some time trying to unpack this but that the mess is a lens through which we discover God. The messes in our life are actually a lens through which we discover God. Jesus didn't say, here's your mess, now you're going to get zapped by a lightning bolt and go to hell. Jesus said, here's your mess, I know you can't get out of it, and so I came to give my life so that you can experience freedom. But we often, well, we often run from our messes, we hide from them, we experience shame in regard to them. But see, I believe that recognizing, this is number three in your notes today, that recognizing our mess is just a baby step away from acknowledging God. And I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture and show you how the Apostle Paul makes this argument in Romans chapter 3. Now, this is going to get to be uh, some fairly, fairly heady stuff this morning. And so it's going to, the Apostle Paul is very smart. And he's, in in Romans chapter 3, he's making a big argument for people to recognize and see God. And so we're going to zero in on just a few verses on verse 19, verse 20, and verse 23. And so look at this. In Romans 3, verse 19, it says, For now we know that the law says... Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Leave that up for a moment. 
whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, which implies that those who are reading it, even us, we are under laws. And I don't know if you know that, but as an American, we live under a system of laws founded by the Constitution. If you even decide to go to a public school or a private school, generally before you enter that in college, they will make you sign a document that says that you agree to stay on course with their rules and their systems. Any place that we go, even your places of employment, have a system of what the Bible would call laws, expectations that we find ourselves under. And so the Apostle Paul begins by just saying, hey, those of you who are living in a place where there is a law, there you are now under the law. But he's making an argument for a different kind of law, actually. A, a, a law that many of us experience on a daily basis. Can I just ask you this question? You be honest with yourself about this. Are there things in your life right now that you know you should not do, but you still do them? Are there things that you know that you're supposed to be doing, but you've just been saying, no, I don't want to do that. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm not going to do that. It's what the Bible would kind of characterize as God's universal law. And as the Apostle Paul begins to talk, he's talking about how our hearts, there's this law that's written on our hearts that, that actually we can't escape and get away from. And something happens for all of us in this. We all deal with the, I, I know I'm supposed to, but I didn't, or I know I, 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 I'm not supposed to do that, but I continue to do it. We all do, and we all, when we're caught in the moment of doing that or not doing that, we all respond generally with almost the same phrase. Well, nobody's perfect. You ever said that before? You ever been in an argument with your spouse, and you said, well, nobody's perfect. All right, kids, have you ever said that to your parents? Well, Mom, why are, you, why are you mad at me for not cleaning my room? I know I'm supposed to, but nobody's perfect. Right, we say that. But when we say nobody's perfect, we're actually admitting something that's quite significant. We're admitting that there's a perfect. Let me translate well, nobody's perfect into another way. There is a perfect that nobody is. There is a perfect that nobody is. There is a law out there that nobody seems to be able to live up to. There is a perfect that nobody is. And this perfect seems to be constantly pressing and leaning into me and it's making me feel uncomfortable about things that I know I'm supposed to do or things that I shouldn't have done. The law. The perfect that nobody is as a believer, we believe that that's Jesus. Jesus is the perfect that none of us are. And so the Apostle Paul continues. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that, 
which means that he's giving us this understanding that we're under the law. There's a purpose for all of that. There's a purpose. And how do we typically apply that? So that, so that we, there's, there's people who are under the law so that now when I see them breaking the law, I can judge them. So when I see them doing something that's against the law, I can point it out and I can actually make fun of them. So when I can, I can make a, a passive Facebook post about somebody who is doing something that was so against the law, right? That's what we do. But look exactly what the scriptures say. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. This is the reason that God's law exists. So that every mouth would be silenced. So that we would stop acting like we're holier than somebody else. Like we have it all together. Like we're perfect. Like our mess is better than their mess. God's law is there so that every mouth would be silenced. So that the criticism would stop. The judgment would stop. The comparison would stop. And we would realize that we are being held accountable to who? To God. That there is a standard that is pressing upon us. It is the law of God. And God constantly is waging to keep us accountable. So look at where he goes in the next verse. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. For the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let me me translate that for you. The law cannot make you better. It reminds you that you're a mess. The law cannot make you better. It just reminds you that you're a mess. I mean, earlier I asked you, have you, have you ever wa- known that you were supposed to do something that you didn't do or known better than what you were doing? So many times the answer for that is yes, there are things that I know I'm supposed to do that I'm not. I feel and sense the law of God pressing into me in that area of my life. As a matter of fact, think about the law of Jesus. Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to basically test him. And he came back with this answer in Mark chapter 12, where he said, the most important commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've heard that before. And the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. No commandment is greater than these. And the truth is, is that when we see the law, we're supposed to be reminded that, God, I don't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. As a matter of fact, it's a guidepost pointing to the fact that I'm continually failing you. The law is reminding me that, you know what? I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love them but I'm not, not like I love myself. And so he ends this argument in Romans 3.23 in that verse that many of us have memorized before that where he says, all have sinned 
all have sinned. I don't, that's, a, that's what theologians would call an allscape. In other words, everyone is included in that statement. We all have sinned. And then we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We all fall short. But see, the awareness of our mess actually awakens us to something outside of us to which we are accountable. And this is the beauty of what the law is there for. It's because when we recognize that I have failed, but there is a perfection that exists beyond my failure. I'm being held accountable to it, but it's there and it's beautiful and it's perfect and it's wonderful and it is Jesus. So if you can see your mess, the truth is you can see God. Because your mess in your life is an inverted reminder of the glory of God that we can never be. It's exactly what Paul is pointing us to in Romans 3. Now, C.S. Lewis, I don't know if many of you have ever read Lewis. You may have read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, some of those books. But C.S. Lewis was a phenomenal theologian. He, he probably single-handedly affected the modern church more than any writer in the last 200 years. And he became a Christian later on in his life. He, he kind of lived, to kind of put some context on his life, he lived uh, during the Second World War. And, and right before the war started, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And one of the reasons, as a philosopher, one of the reasons that he said he could not escape the fact that there must be a God first, and then later making the decision that it must be Jesus himself, is he said, you know, I noticed when people were fighting with one another, he used the word quarreling because he's British. Um, but he said, I noticed when, when people were quarreling amongst themselves, they never stopped and said, hey, you know what? Your standard is bogus. It's like, like if people are arguing about how clean the house is, they don't ever stop and say, no, your expectation of clean is different than mine. What happens is they either make an excuse or they want an exemption. He said, but there seems to be this standard that all men accept. And he said, and y'all just bear with me as I quote the great C.S. Lewis. He said, no man in the context of an argument ever says to hell with your standard. He doesn't say that. And so in the first chapter of a book called Mere Christianity, which is actually, this is so neat. The BBC invited, as, as Britain was being bombed, by the Nazis. They invited C.S. Lewis to give a series of lectures over the radio where thousands of people, as he 
read this kind of prepared lecture series. Thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus as he was reading. Later, the lectures were condensed into a a small book called Mere Christianity. If you ever try to read it, it'll take you multiple times because it's so deep. But I love what he said. Look at what he said. He said, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot really get rid of it. There's this curious law that's out there. It's what the Apostle Paul said. The law of God. And look at what he said later on. He said, there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior. And yet, quite definitely real. A real law, which none of us has made but which we find pressing on us. That law is the law of God. And that law reminds us, the Apostle Paul said it, it reminds us that we are sinners, that we are in a mess But that mess isn't there to condemn you as a follower of Jesus. It's actually there to point you beyond that. And so as we get started in this series, what I wanted to do today was just to remind you that we all have something in common. We all have something in common. The truth is is that we are all a mess. And because we're all a mess, it should change the way that we deal with people. When you see families struggling, there should be a level of compassion that exists for them. When we see people making decisions and failing, there should be compassion, not judgment, because we're all a mess. We're all a mess. We Share that in common. The Bible says that we've all fallen short. And so because you are a mess, your mess is an invitation to see God more clearly. Your invitation is, or your mess is an invitation to see God more clearly. You see, when I am unkind, to someone. And I stepped back from that moment and I realized that I was being unkind. I'm reminded that in my heart I can be unkind, but there is a God who is kind. When I wake up in the middle of a season of unforgiveness and I realize that I haven't forgiven someone and I'm carrying bitterness and hatred towards them, all of a sudden I'm reminded that I am supposed to forgive, but I haven't and I failed in that, but there is a God who has forgiven me. When I've been unloving towards a friend, I'm reminded that I'm a sinner and I've failed it, but there is a God who is loving. There is a God who is always going to be there. He's always going to be compassionate. He's always going to be generous. See, our mess is an invitation to see God and possibly even see yourself in a different way. Because it's my prayer that after this week, 
that when you see somebody in a mess, that you would look at them and you'd say, I know a mess because I am a mess. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.